what I'd like everybody to do first is close their eyes, okay? You're on a safe space. I'm going to watch over you. Nothing is going to happen here, but everybody close your eyes. And what I would like you to do now is I would like you to imagine something. I would like you to imagine your favorite food. Some of you have, might have multiple. Some of you might have only one. But what is your favorite food? I'm not going to suggest anything because this is a very personal thing. But I also see the first smiles at places, which is awesome. Now imagine with this food the situation that you connect to it. Usually we have some type of place, some type of time that we connect to it. Maybe it's some type of vacation. Maybe it's our favorite restaurant. It might be different things that we connect to it. And also try to connect maybe who were you with? Was it family? Was it friends? Pretty sure a lot of us got a lot more hungry. And as you still have your eyes closed, listen to this psalm that I'm going to read to you. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with, with, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. You can open your eyes. Did you notice the stark contrast between our desire for food and David's desire for God. The moment when David wrote this, he was in the desert of Judea. It was probably the time when he was running away from Saul. So he was quite a long time in the desert or in the cave of Adullam, just trying to hide out, trying to stay safe. But he had already a time beforehand where he, where he was part of the palace, where he got to enjoy some of the amazing foods, right? Some of the riches that Saul was receiving, he might have experienced some of it as well. And now he is in a dry and parched land as we see in this psalm. And what is he thinking about? God. He's saying, as much as I crave for this water and as much as I crave for this food, I crave for God. I don't know what you were imagining with your favorite food, but I think most of us, we had a good feeling thinking about this, right? Like looking forward to it, having it at some point again. And for David, what we see here is a, a similar craving for God. And this is what my sermon today is all about. I call it like David in this desert. How can we yearn for God the same way that David yearned for him? How can we have a desire for God, be satisfied with him? And realizing that God is our superior joy. For that, I want to 
start off by going through quite a lot of scripture, actually, because of this. Scripture is completely saturated with people that are completely satisfied with joy. If you start reading the scripture, so often you will start seeing, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? So let's go through quite a lot of the scripture and see what do the people have to say about rejoicing in God, being satisfied in God. It starts, I'm going to start with Psalm 42, and it's just a small portion of scriptures that I can bring to you today. But the point is to show you how saturated it is. Psalm 42, verse 1 to 2, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? We Christians don't just say randomly, oh, I'm hungry for God, or I'm thirsty for God. This is scripture. Hungry. But like if we think about hunger and hungering for something, what does that mean? It means we want it so desperately, right? That we, we are craving, we want to get towards it. And I don't know what you thought about, but one of the possible foods that I was thinking about was Texas to Brazil. <laughs> Pretty good food, right? <laughs> but what I think of when I think about food and desiring God like foods is what can happen when we are hungry for, I don't know, who has fasted before more than a day? A few, a few of the people in here. I don't know if you realize the first day or two are the hardest. And then what happens if you keep being hungry? Eventually that feeling of hunger will go down. It becomes numb. Right? In the same way, when we have this craving for God and we let it sit for too long, that too will become numb. So even though we're desiring food, sometimes it can feel numb. But on the other hand, what we can also do is eat the wrong food. I, I don't think anybody here, if they're about to go to Texas to Brazil, would beforehand start eating a pizza. That would be pretty silly, right? Yep. I would never, if I knew I was going to an amazing restaurant, I would never in my mind fill myself up with garbage. Would I? And yet so often when we know we have this amazing food that is God, we fill ourselves up with garbage. And we are not hungry for God in the same way anymore. Are we? Filling ourselves up with chips and all the stuff that makes my hunger go less. In the same way, we fill ourselves up with so many earthly things that we are not hungry for God anymore. But the psalmist say, I'm hungry for you, God. I'm thirsty for you, God. There's this deep desire. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth has nothing I desire besides you. Can we say this? Can we say earth has nothing I desire besides you, God? Absolutely. I feel like we have at least one or two things that we desire quite a lot in our day-to-day life, don't we? Desiring God, nothing besides you. This is an incredible statement to make. Psalm 84 says, better is one day in the courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He says, I would rather be in the backyard of your house, God. Even if it's just close, even if I can't go all the way in, I would rather be there than anywhere else. 
And if we contrast that with Haggai 1 verse 4, this is where Israel just came back from exile, right? And what are they doing? Jerusalem is destroyed. They're coming back and they have to rebuild. But God says, is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? So while the psalmist is saying, I would rather be in your house, the Israelites, they were like, ah, I'm going to build up my own fancy house. They were more worried about comfort than anything else. It's not about having a roof over your head. We see it because it says you're paneled houses. It's not just about that they're trying to be safe or something like this. No, they're trying to make themselves comfortable. That was a higher priority than building up the temple. What Ezra fought for, I think it was Ezra. But the psalmist again says, I would rather be one day in the courts of your house. Psalm 33 says, sing joyfully to the Lord. You're righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. See, what we do when we're excited about something, we share about it, right? When we're excited about something, we talk about it, right? And this psalm is like, I'm so excited. I want you to shout for joy as well. Let's shout for joy for God is good. That's how excited I am. We all do this, right? When we're excited about whatever, some of y'all might be excited about football. Your spouse will hear about football. I'm sure you hear quite a bit of football, Erica, don't you? <laughs> because Pastor Dave is really excited about it, right? And there's many things that I get really excited about that Becca is not as excited about. But because she loves me, she listens anyway. <laughs> because it's weird when I'm, when I'm excited, I just have to share it. And the same way the psalmist is like, I'm excited about God. Sing joyfully to the Lord. <laughs> he can't contain it. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before the, him with joyful songs. Shout, shout joyfully, sing the songs of joy. So excited the psalmist are to be in the presence of God. Psalm 119 says, how sweet are your words to my test, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Here the psalmist is saying, you are so amazing, you're so great that even the small little words in comparison to you still sweeter than honey, are still so enjoyable, are still so great. This is a glimpse of what we have from God. It's the scripture, it's the Bible, it's his word. It's a glimpse of him. And even that is sweeter than honey. Wow. Do we see the word of God the same way? Are we just dying once this service is over? Are we just dying to eat up more of God's words? Most of us probably aren't, right? We are probably more excited to go to lunch after Pastor David is talking a lot about food today. <laughs> but the psalm is like, how sweet are your words to my taste? And it keeps going. Psalm 1 says the same. All the joys of those who do not follow evil man's advice, who do not hang around with sinners, scoffing at the things of God, but they delight in doing everything God wants them to. And day and night are 
always meditating on his laws and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. That is their desire, is to come close to God, to meditate on him day and night, to think of his words. And the prophets, I've talked about a lot of the psalmists. It goes also to the prophets. Jeremiah 15 verse 16, when your words came, I ate them. How can you eat words against this image, right? I'm taking it in. That's how much I yearn for it. I want to take it all in. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. There's many more on the prophets. I tried to cut some out just for time's sake. But if we go to the apostles... Uh, that one apparently didn't cut. If we go to the apostles, we see a similar thing. Here, Peter is speaking to these people and he's describing to them what he has seen them do and is commanding them for it. Okay, so he says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than God, gold, which perishes even though fire, a refined fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, Faith, the salvation of your soul. Even though these people went through trials and hardship, they still were focused on Jesus, were still holding on to Jesus and seeing and receiving inexpressible and glorious joy. Wow. And some of that might be some, a bit hard for us to read because we go through trials, right? We go through hardships. And as I speak today about joy, I don't want to give the impression that joy is the only thing that we will ever feel and experience. I want to give a short moment to recognize this, that some of us here, even right now, might be going through hardship, might be going through difficult times, loss of family members, illnesses, financial difficulties, whatever it is. We, we, we sometimes go through hard, hard things, and I want to say it's okay. It's okay to go through these things. The Bible says there's a season of sadness and there's a season of joy. There's a season of rain and there's a season of sunshine. I do not want to diminish the pain that some of us might be going through. It's real. But in the same way, there's hope in this pain. In the same way that Peter just said, even though you're going through trials and hardship, there is still hope and there is still joy in it. And I've experienced that with my family, that my family, when I was younger, there was hardship that we went through. And something that didn't go well is they felt hurt by the church in the process. And I don't want that this place is like this. I want that this place is a place where when we are broken, that we can come to it and we are safe and we're here for one another. Pretty sure Pastor Dave is exactly the same opinion. That this is a place where we take the masks off and don't put them on. We're here for one another. And we're not trying to hurt one another. We're trying to be here for one another. And that might look different for different people, what it means to be here for one another. 
But I just wanted to, even though I'm talking about joy, I just wanted to point this out. It's okay that you're going through hardship and you are supposed to grieve in certain situations and it's okay. But I want to remind you, there is hope. There is joy. This season will end and a new season will start, even if you cannot see this right now. Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A very famous verse. I've preached about it last time as well. Paul is so in love with Christ, so desperate for Christ that he says, for me to live, the sole purpose is to live for Christ. And when I die, I will experience gain. I will finally get the fulfillment of the desires that I have. He didn't see death as something to be afraid of, but something to look forward to in a good way, right? And later in Philippians, just uh, Philippians is completely full of joy. There's joy in all types of circumstances, and again in pain and suffering as well. But later he says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> He's telling them, Rejoice, he's telling them to rejoice in God. It is no trouble for me to write this same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in God. My last verse for this whole list of verses is this, Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That we will be right with God. That we will have peace with God. And that we will finally rejoice in God. That we will find deep satisfaction in God. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And if we think about this, seeking joy. It makes sense, right? Every single human being somehow is striving for happiness, striving for joy. We can all see this, right? So how can it be that when we as humans, we are seeking happiness, we're seeking for joy, that most of us don't end up with God if he is the infinite joy? How can that be? And this is the part, uh, this is the part with a little bit of math, okay? <laughs> to illustrate. I've I, I brought a graph for y'all, okay? Everybody say, yay! yay. <laughs> I brought a graph for you. So for those that know math, like this will make sense. For those that haven't done math since high school, let me explain. Okay, so this, can, I, can you see this? Oh, belly. So this, this thing is called a graph, okay? And then you have the y-axis and the x-axis. And on the graph, you have different parts of it. And up here where it goes to infinity, this is called the global maximum. And over there is a local, I don't, over there, that's the local maximum. So the high points in the graph, those are maximums, right? And we differentiate between a local maximum or multiple local maximum potentially and a global maximum. In the same way, we're comparing the minimums, the low parts over here, global minimum and local minimum, right? The global minimum is the lowest part in the whole graph. No other part of the graph will be lower than the global minimum. And no other part of the graph will be higher than the global maximum, which in this case is infinity. It just keeps going up until infinity, right? The local ones, they are 
high points and low points, but there is other ones that are higher and lower. And it's just in that local area is a little high point and a little low point. Okay, that's why they're called local maximum, local minimum. Okay, we're all on the same page? Yes. Awesome. Okay, the way that I compare this to is this. The global maximum is infinite joy with God. Okay? The local maximum is false joy outside of God. The global minimum right next to God is sacrifice and self-denial. And we usually end up so, start off somewhere there. Does everybody see this? We start off on this little slope. And so often when we fight for joy, we go the direct path to the next highest point, and that's the local minimum. But God, the infinite joy, is on the other side of the sacrifice and self-denial. And so often... We can't fully get there because there is some pain that we're going through. And so often it's so much easier to find this short-term, easy joy that we can find all over the earth. The easy joy that we can get everywhere. But, we, but with God, it sometimes doesn't seem that easy, even though he has greater, more satisfying joy for us. Does this illustration make sense for everybody? Yes? So even though we are hardwired to maximize joy, to maximize happiness, and to minimize pain, we often end up on a false hill. This goes so far to the person that even kills themselves. Even they are looking for maximizing joy and minimizing their pain. Every single person does this. But when we are on this false hill, we cannot see sometimes that Walking towards God seems like suddenly like less joy. Why does it feel like less joy? It's because we are so, we're so focused and worried about these things that we might potentially needing to give up. We're finding more joy and satisfaction in these worldly things that it seems sometimes like a loss when we come walk towards God. In Genesis, oh, actually, amazing quote. I wanted to... Initially, I wanted to do this quote a lot earlier, but I, f I thought it fitted a lot better in here. C.S. Lewis, we all know C.S. Lewis, amazing author, and he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are pleased with that little hump, with that local maximum. But God gives us infinite joy He's offering to us infinite joy, and we are settling with less. Why are we doing that? Why are we settling for less if we have infinite joy on our hands? Eve did it when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. She, she literally was in the garden. She had a one-side God and everything he had to offer, and then she had this fruit 
that, is, that promised her false joy, false hope. It promised her a lie. Because the, the enemy says, oh, God doesn't want you to be like him. We were already like him. We were already made in his image. And the enemy, and the false promise is knowing for yourself what is good and what is evil. That knowledge was available to us via God, via trusting in God. Like a child trusting their parents. It's like, is this good to do? Is this, or is this not good to do? But instead, we wanted to know it ourselves and we wanted to decide for ourselves. And look how much pain and suffering our world has now. The essence of sin is looking for good outside of God. Our desires are misguided. We are so often focused on the wrong things. And as Christians, so often it's tempting to say, oh, these desires seem false because they're connected to sin, so I must kill off my desires. But in reality, what we ought to do is realign our desires with a true objective of the desire, which is God. We need to realign it, bring what, like the desires that we have inside, they were meant for God. Jesus says, you were asking for water, but I want to give you living water so you're never thirsty again. Jesus said that to the woman that was broken, that was hurt, and she says, can you give this to me right now? It was right in front of her, Jesus Christ. Our hearts were made for infinite, glorious joy. And we are satisfied with that. Actually, we are not satisfied. That's why whenever we set ourselves a goal and we, are, we think we achieve it, what happens? We have a new goal. And we're always chasing the next thing. We're always chasing the next thing. iPhone 13 is out. Now iPhone 14 is out. <laughs> and we think that this will make us happy. No, it won't. You will just chase the next thing. With careers, oh, when I have this position, I will be happy. When I make this amount of money, I will be happy. But no, there's always a next thing. It will never satisfy our hearts that were made for infinite joy. Why is this so important? Why, why are we made this way? Here's why. God is most glorified inside of us when we are most satisfied in him. When we cannot see anything else but God, he looks deeply attractive to other people. But so often people look at Christians and they're like, I don't want this because we Christians look miserable. <laughs> we, they always see this, this all, so often they, all they see is the self-sacrifice and the pain that they, that they don't see the joy that God is offering us. We like to sit in that little dip down there with, oh, I'm so, I have to give up all of this stuff. No, this is just a pathway to receive so much more. So why don't people see God's glory through us? When people look at us, they should see the joy. They should see the satisfaction. And he should look deeply desirable. I want to finish with a story and one last Bible verse. And this story is when I was a teenager. I remember there was something that we did in our church is um, 
a women's ministry where the guys of the church were serving the women. And we had like special types of services where um, it was just for the women. We had a guest speaker coming in. We had a band coming in for them. And what we did is we served them food or finger food or, some or something. And we did all of these amazing things, decorated it nicely to make the women of our church feel special. And as a teenager, even as students, we were asked, hey, do you want to serve in some way? And I had already done it once before. Okay, I've already served once before. But this particular time, I remember it was a few hours before the service, and I really didn't want to. You know what I wanted, rather wanted to do? I wanted to be at home and play video games. I was looking at my false little hill the false little promise of joy. I didn't want to go. But you know what? I made a commitment. I should go anyway. And I went anyway, okay? And you know what my role was? It wasn't glamorous at all. My role, I was a coat hanger. <laughs> so the ladies would give me the coats. I would go hang it up, take the number, and give them the number. And at the end of the service, they give me the number, I go and get the code, and bring the code back to them. That's it. <laughs> it wasn't glamorous at all. But I said, I'm going to do it because I signed up for it, and I should do it. Guess what happened at the end? These women, they were appreciative, right? They were saying, thank you so much. This was such a special evening. We feel so blessed. And because I was one of the last people that they would meet there, I was receiving all of that thanks, even though almost all of the guys were helping. But for me, I was like, oh, wow. We made an impact. We did a difference for them. They, they felt so appreciated. Wow. Guess what I felt? Joy. <laughs> I felt deep satisfaction in what I did. And guess what? At home, I would have been, probably been raging at the, those video games. <laughs> that promise of the false hope, that easy one, it was a tiny sacrifice to drive 45 minutes to church. It wasn't drive because it was with public transport. It was a tiny sacrifice, but I got to receive a portion, just a portion of God's infinite joy in that moment. And wow, it was worth it. It's worth it. Am I perfect at this? Absolutely not. Neither was Paul. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. And the bands can start coming up. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Next time, next week, I get to preach again. Very, thank you very much, Dave. But like next week, I want to again talk about joy. Today, I wanted to give you an impression of the Bible is full of joy for God. People are so satisfied in him. What does it look like? Next week, I want to talk about how can we grow closer towards it? What are practical things we can do to enjoy God more? Okay, but for today, I'm very sorry. <laughs> today, I just want y'all to do these three things. 
First, realize, put it into your head, that God is our superior joy. He is the superior type of joy that we cannot receive anywhere else. Number two, make God your superior joy. Fight for it. Don't be satisfied with what the world has to offer. Try to gain this superior joy. And the third thing, keep on pressing on. Don't stop. We will never receive 100% of this joy here on earth. One day we will when we are with God reunited. But every single day we can get more of his joy and more of his joy and more of his joy as long as we keep on pressing on. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness. I want to thank you so much that you want to give us joy, that you want to fill us up with your glorious joy, that we, we can desire you, we can come, come close to you, and that it's good that it's satisfying. And I just pray that as we go into our lives that we will realize this and that we will go more hungry, that we will grow more thirsty for you, God. That we might one day look like those psalmists, that we one day might look like those apostles, that everything we do is because of you and that we are so enjoying it. God, you are so much more worth than anything that we can have here on earth. And I thank you that you made it available to us through your, John, through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. In your holy name I pray.